This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by RSM. For challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today's topic is all about labor negotiations, the UAW, and what's going on there. And I've got three experts to talk about it, including Kristen Dicek. She's the Vice President of Industry, Labor, and Economics at the Center for Automotive Research in Ann Arbor. Hi, John. Art Schwartz is the President of Labor and Economic Associates. And Daniel Howes is the Associate Business Editor and a columnist with the Detroit News. And I want to thank you all for being here today. Daniel, let me start with you. I, I, I think we have to start this out with talking about all the corruption that's mm -hmm. going on at the union. And we should warn the audience that we're taping the show early. Things undoubtedly will have changed by the time this airs, but there's still plenty to talk about right now. The corruption levels, it, it just seems to be going farther and farther up the, the union level with its officers. What are we going to see here? Are all the officers going to get broomed out of the union? The top I, ones. Yeah, no, I don't necessarily think that all of the officers, but I think you have a situation where the uh, President Gary Jones, who just is taking a leave of absence right now, he's likely to be uh, indicted based upon what we're seeing. And a number of people who are ally have been allies and aides of his um, have been charged. And some of them, it appears, are cooperating with the government. Um, former President Dennis Williams also has been identified as one of the people, uh, UAW official B, the Detroit News is. Uh, confirmed the identities of, of a number of these people, Gary Jones and, and Dennis Williams principally. Um, so uh, this roll-up continues. So far, there have been uh, 12 people charged, and there have been 10 convictions. Um, and uh, I think you can expect that at least one of the other two is likely has already cut a deal with the government and will be testifying uh, against other people as far as this, as this moves forward. You know, uh, I'm astonished at times to find out that while we here in the automotive industry are really on top of the story and know what's going on, largely the rest of the country doesn't know a thing. Could just give us a quick thumbnail, very quick, of what's going on. Well, the, the quick thumbnail is that there was a there's been a government investigation, a multi-year investigation that initially was focused on the Fiat Chrysler uh, Joint Training Center and the funds uh, that, the, that the union had access to that were provided by the company. That netted about uh, six or eight different convictions. Um, it then moved out into the broader union sphere. Uh, the union's view, and officially what they said was there were no, no union dues, no member dues were ever imperiled here. It was only corporate money that was imperiled. Well, we now know that's not true, and uh, that uh, there was a lot of money spent um, 
out at Palm Springs on conferences, on renting villas for not three days, four days for the conference, but for a month or, or a month and a half for UAW leaders, poolside villas, ten, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars in cigars and paraphernalia, $400 bottles of Cristal champagne. The list goes on and on and on. It was, as I said in a recent column, it was gluttony more uh, on a scale of the Roman Empire than, than anything else you can imagine uh, union people doing. Uh, and it was all financed by member dues. One other point I'd like to make is you are right. A lot of people and a lot of people in the media have not paid attention to this story. And I've had conversations with a number of media organizations who have told me that their editors in New York basically say nobody cares. Wow. And uh, my view is, and our view at the Detroit News is, this is a foundational institution of the modern American auto industry and how you can ignore something like this. You wouldn't ignore it if it was going on at one of the three companies, clearly. Uh, this is a big deal. Yeah. Kristen, how do you think the union's going to respond to this? And, and uh, maybe respond's not the right word. How do they deal with it? Are they going to have to restructure? What, what do you think the steps will be that they take? Well, I don't know that it's all entirely in their hands. I mean, right now it is. Um, and, you know, they need to, uh, you know, move forward and uh, move beyond this. Uh, you know, they've had uh, the clean slate agenda that was put forth first by Dennis Williams and then by Carrie Jones. Um, it wasn't that clean, apparently. Um, but, it, you know, a real uh, take it on communication strategy of acknowledging that those were not, those reforms were not enough um, and that they need to go forward. But it may not be entirely in their hands, as I said, and Daniel probably knows more than, of this than I do, um, that it could be that the government is looking for a consent decree or to take over the union. Yeah, what do and you to, think, and right? to monitor for their finances. We, we've seen the Department of Justice essentially take over operational uh, uh, control of the Teamsters Union going back to the 1980s. They held on to that control for 25 years, in fact. Do you think something like that might happen with the UAW? Well, I, I would hope not. Uh, the Teamsters, it was kind of an endemic disease that they had uh, of corruption from leader to leader, and everyone kind of knew about that. To all of us who've dealt with the UAW over the years, uh, and I did for 27, 24 years with General Motors. You were General a negotiator Motors. at General Motors, yeah. right. Um, this stuns me because uh, uh, a lot of the leadership I, I've known from the UAW uh, would never have tolerated this. Mm -hmm. um, but um, so this How did it get out of control? I mean, you're right. Uh, historically, the UAW has had a reputation as a squeaky clean organization. Uh, what went wrong? Well, there was a, two pots of money are out there. Uh, Daniel mentioned the first one, the joint training funds, which got to be an enormous pot of money that was very tempting, obviously. And uh, although uh, audits were done at General Motors, I know they weren't quite so uh, diligent at Chrysler. Uh, the auditor was in on the scheme. And uh, Ford, I haven't heard anything at all about Ford. Uh, yet. So there's, a, there's all that money out there. And then you've got the UAW dues and strike fund money, which is another enormous mm -hmm. pot of money. Hundreds I, of millions of dollars. Yes. Uh, the strike fund was over $700 million, almost $800 million. Right. And I think the feeling was no one will ever figure it out. Have I skimmed? And, and, and the skim? political funds, too. I mean, the, yeah, the, the most pack? recent one is through the, right. the, the CAP, the Community Action Program, their political fundraising. Yeah, there's a lot of money there. Yeah. And if you skim $100,000, who who know? Who'll miss it? You know, an interesting point when you ask about, uh, you brought up the Teamster settlement. Um, 
that settlement was negotiated, it was a global settlement, in my understanding it was negotiated by a former US uh, assistant U.S. attorney in Brooklyn, and that guy is Gary Jones' lawyer today. <laughs> uh. So, um, you know, you have somebody that has a little experience and knows how these things, and I'm not suggesting that that's going to happen, but that's just an, a little interesting sidelight to this whole thing. Uh, you know, the other thing I would add to what Art said about this, um, and he can actually speak to this better than I can, the last two presidents of the UAW did not come from the departments of the car companies. And the, traditionally, I, I think, the union has always had its president come from either the Ford, Chrysler, or GM departments. People who knew the industry really well, they were part of it. These last two um, presidents did not, and, and a lot of what seems to be, uh, a lot of this corruption that seems to be focused on, on their two tenures. Yeah, Art, you mentioned that uh, uh, General Motors audited the books, but it, they, Gen, GM UAW is still it, totally entangled in all Well, this. the entanglement they've got has to do with kickbacks. And the last time I looked, kickbacks don't get put on the books. So uh, you're not, you're not going to find that. That's going to be up to somebody to, to dig up, and obviously they did. Um, but, you know, in the first case for uh, FCA and, and Chrysler, they were just taking money out of the joint funds and using it for their own personal use. Mm -hmm. Company folks as well, not just the union. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, the vice president of labor relations. Is, is serving a sentence in jail. Well, now. that's a great question then, uh, Krishna. How much were the car companies aware of what was going on? Um, I don't know that they were that aware at, uh, at General Motors in particular. Um, if you look at the negotiations, though, this year, um, General Motors and Ford have uh, negotiated agreements, and we're waiting to see if Ford's is ratified at this point. Um, but they have both pulled back the funds and put them into trust. So they're going to continue to do training activities, but the companies are taking over more control over the funding right. and, and controlling the, the monies uh, that go into to those training centers. And at GM, they're going to sell the building here in Detroit for the... I call it the Taj Mahal. They're going to keep I mean, the place building. is enormous. It looks with like no MI6 expense. headquarters. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, some, some real reforms in that area to, to have tighter control over the money because it is, um, you know, they say it's not member money, but they negotiate for these these funds. And so, you know, you could have that fund in training or you could have that money in something else. Um, you know, it is part of the whole costing of the deal is how much goes into that. So it could have been for other benefits that the members would have negotiated, but instead it went to this training fund and then on to um, other things. Why do you think, uh, uh, or, or do you think that the automakers were aware of what was going on? Well, we, the Detroit News, we, my colleague Rob Snell, who's been the tip of the spear in this for us a lot, on, on, particularly on the federal side, uh, did a piece not long ago raising the question that, or reporting that the government was looking at whether or not the companies actually financed some of the work on, on Black Lake and on a house for Dennis Williams. And, and people want to call it a cottage. It ain't a cottage. I mean, this is a lake. This is a full-fledged, very nice lake house. Um, and the companies have said, when we reported that story, that they, they we're cooperating. They didn't push back on this thing, the, this story at all. Um, so I think that's one of the things they're trying to determine is to what extent it was like, here, take the money. We don't want to know what you're, what you're doing with it. Don't tell us what you're going to do with it. Is that what went on, or did they get duped? I think that's, the, that's one of the questions that needs to be answered. We've seen, as you've all talked about, uh, 
action taken by the, the feds against UAW members uh, at GM and Chrysler, and even at an executive, the, the head of labor relations, nothing about Ford. Is, is that coming later, or was Ford doing something better? We haven't heard anything at all about Ford. You're right. Uh, I know the people in the Ford Labor Relations Department. I think very highly of them. Uh, uh, Bill Dirksen, the, who's the vice president, is, uh, is a straight-on guy. He gets along with the UAW very well. And um, I would personally, I'd be surprised if they found anything in the in the Ford. But they've looked. I mean, that's the other thing yeah. is that this investigation that started at Fiat Chrysler and the Joint Training Centers and going back to James Hardy, even before the, the training center, um, this was somebody who was accused of selling jobs at FCA. Um, you know, they went and said, okay, now let's look at all the other training centers. Now look, let's look into the union. Let's look into the regions. Let's look at the locals. Now let's look at the uh, political action funds. Let's, so they've, the, the federal investigation has gone out to every pot of money that the UAW has mm -hmm. their hands on. Um, and they've been at Ford and have looked at all of Ford's records, and we haven't seen anything come out of Ford yet. So, I mean, it's possible that nothing comes of Ford. Let's hope nothing comes out because there's nothing there. Yeah, we, we, we have they, in our reporting, looked. yeah, in our report, we'd square with what she's saying. I mean, we haven't, we haven't seen uh, or heard that that's, that that's coming. We, we've seen the union strike against General Motors. We ought to talk a little bit about the, the strike and the contract right now, what, what, what's been going on. Um, did the union drag the strike out? I mean, this went on for, for a month. Six, six weeks. And uh, it, it just seems to me that GM put a pretty good offer on the table at the very beginning. Six weeks later, it's a little bit better. Art, what's your thoughts on it? Well, that's exactly my thoughts. Uh, Terry Dittus said, when he got the offer. He's a VP at, he's at, a v at the UAW. Yeah, he's, he was the one actually bargaining at, at GM. Um, he uh, said, had I only gotten that offer a day earlier, we might have avoided the strike. And my reaction to that is, okay, postpone the strike a day, bargain, and be done. And he didn't do that. And um, they were, so they were out six weeks. And I would agree with you, they, they got more. But was it worth a six-week strike? Well, I'll leave that up to everyone else to decide, but I don't think so. But many of the items, I mean, in the there's a highlighter of what the contract has in it. Then there's the white book, which is the pages that they've the actual contract language, and it's signed off on. Many of those pages are signed off on on the day of or the day right before they reach their tentative agreement. So everything was held until the end. There was not. They've made all this progress, and they're just right. sitting and waiting to resolve the strike. Everything was brought to the very end. There was a lot of frustration behind the scenes at GM uh, with the pace of bargaining, with the, the unwieldy size of the team that the union brought. Uh, it was it was un, unusual in that sense. Two, I think there's no question, and I suspect these guys would agree, um, that the union was spoiling for a strike with General Motors because of its move to, to uh, unallocate or essentially move to close four U.S. plants. This was a confrontation that was uh, bound to, ha I think, bound to happen. And finally, there's a theory out there, and I've talked to a lot of people about this, that the leadership saw this as a way, in some ways, to deflect attention from the, the, le the growing legal jeopardy of the president and other ranking um, members of the union. Now, uh, it, but 
then we look within days of the strike being settled, you have another indictment. I mean, the, the feds aren't going away here. So whether their strike, strike lasts two weeks, four weeks, eight weeks, uh, I, they're still going to be there. Yeah. Um, what I'm wondering about now, too, is uh, isn't there a better way of doing this? It, it's a rhetorical question, but I'd love to get your three uh, ideas on this. And what I'm getting at is I'm all for the rank and file getting a raise, and that's what we're really talking about here. They, they got a raise. But when you look at them being out for six weeks, the Anderson Economic Group identified at least 75,000 supplier workers who were laid off because of this. They never got any strike fund money. They, they never got a signing bonus like the UAW workers did. I, I personally talked to a lot of suppliers in the industry. They were hurt badly. Uh, they're all scrambling. The, the, the small ones lost millions. The medium-sized ones lost tens of millions. The bigger ones lost hundreds of millions of dollars. Kristen, I think it was uh, your group, in fact, that came out and pointed out that municipal, county, state governments all lost collectively hundreds of millions of dollars in tax mm -hmm. revenue. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is a lot of innocent bystanders got hurt badly by the strike. I, how do you resolve this any other way other than going with a strike? Is there another way of doing it? Well, a strike is the only weapon that the union has, really. I mean, uh, there aren't, the last strike of this length was 1970. So it's not like we strike every three years national or every four strike. years. National strike. Of any, yeah, right, pardon me, 1998. Because there's been other strikes yeah, since. Yeah, we had a nice two-month strike in 1998 in Flint. Right, um, four days. But the, um, the, it doesn't happen all the time. And this is the union's weapon. I mean, if we're up to management, uh, they'd just keep bargaining forever. So I don't know what the alternative would be. I mean, you could say, well, why don't you just have arbitration? But neither side's going to like that because now the solution is out of their hands mm -hmm. and is in a third party and anything can happen. So a lot of suggestions have been made, but the collective bargaining model, I don't think it's broken. I'm not it, saying that it's broken. Yeah. I'm just saying that tens of thousands of people that have nothing to do with the UAW were hurt by the strike. And, they're, you know... In the case of supplier workers, they lost a month's worth of wages. Mm -hmm. They don't make UAW wages. That's got to be financially devastating for they them. They did get unemployment insurance, which striking workers don't in the state of Michigan and several other states, striking workers don't get unemployment. Um, but the, the uh, supplier workers do because they don't benefit from the impact of, from this resolution of the strike. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of damage. But it's, you know... There's, there's arbitration, there's mediation, there's collective bargaining and striking. Yeah. And that's what we've got. Kristen, wh what do you think uh, this latest contract is going to do with the big three? They already have the highest labor costs in the United States. Uh, those labor costs are only going to go higher right now. Does this put them at a competitive disadvantage with the other foreign automakers building cars in the USA? It's not entirely clear just yet. Um, you know, at General Motors, they're uh, looking to um, early retire or retire, incentivize people to leave um, 2,000 production workers and 60 skilled trades. That's a limit. Uh, the Ford tentative agreement has unlimited amount of production workers and 200 skilled trades. If they can move those people along and replace them, 
with uh, new hires uh, that come in at the bottom, then that can help blend their average hourly labor costs down. And their per vehicle cost is what really matters, not the hourly. You, you buy labor to make a vehicle. Um, they've brought those costs down considerably since 2007. Um, you know, if there's, you know, two, three percent raises in the costs per year, it's not going to be that significant. Um, and part, you know, two things that uh, make up that gap with the internationals. One is there's very hefty profit sharing checks that roll into the, the hourly wage. So $63 an hour at General Motors. Um, $5.81 of that is their profit sharing check from last year. Mm. Um, so you bring that down, that's 58 and it's not so crazy when the internationals are at 50. Um, the internationals are also a blend um, of different companies that some of them just started their operations and they may have three, four, five year grow-ins to their top wage but the plant's only two years old, so nobody's got five years. They're not at the top of their scale yet either. Um, so the internationals are not going to stand still, and there's um, some flexibility in the in these agreements to bring in um, bring the temps to permanent status um, and to blend the average hourly labor cost down. Mm -hmm. Daniel, your thoughts? Does this leave the the Detroit three less competitive with all the the international competitors they have in the U.S.? Well, Kristen certainly paints a, m a more nuanced and sophisticated picture of, of that, and I'm just sitting here listening, wishing I was writing some of that down. Um, <laughs> we'll uh, give you a copy of the show. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I can't help but think that ultimately General Motors goes into this thing as having the highest hourly labor cost in the industry, and I'll bet you they come out of it having the highest hourly labor cost in the industry. And I know, because I've had discussions with very senior management, that this is one of the things that, as one of them said to me, this is what keeps us up at night. Is, is the gap with a Toyota, Honda, Nissan like that cannot be sustainable over a long, long period of time. And they're trying to do a, a lot of other things to ameliorate that. But one of the things that came out of this uh, in this new agreement is fast-tracking a lot and, of, of temps into full-time status, as I understand it. Mm -hmm. And uh, does that ameliorate the problem? Pro probably not. Uh, but, you know, it's going to take some, some more analysis and to see how this, this shakes out before we ultimately know. Art, you used to negotiate on the behalf of General Motors. There, there's got to be ways, Kristen was talking about it, that you can come up with offsets to well, offset we, some of these high We costs. always did because uh, I can't think of a single contract we negotiated where the cost of labor went down. So it was always going up. 2007. Um, $79? No, not even, not really 2007, because we didn't get to do the VIBA until 2010. That's true. Yeah. So, but you set in motion. We set it in it motion. That was that but, was that agreement. Because in 2007, the average hourly labor cost was $79 an hour. And now... 78, sorry. Okay, that's the high point? <laughs> that was the high point, yeah. And, and then General Motors says today it's roughly $63, 63 15 an hour. Of, 15 of that or 16 was the uh, retiree health care? Retiree health care. Wow. Yeah. And right now, about ten dollars, is approximately, is active health care. And you know that was the thing GM tried to. How much? A little more than that. A little more than ten. Okay, yeah. I like to round round and, and numbers. And six is profit sharing. And if you don't have profits, then that's not. When in was there. it the highest? In two thousand seven. It right. It, yeah. Right. Go leading into two thousand seven. Seventy eight dollars. Yep. Um, I thought for some reason the 99 contract was the richest, the one that... It may have been well, the it was the richest contract. The, it was? Yeah, yeah but, but things went up in 03 and then 07 again, so the number went up. So we're getting a little number geeky here. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of goes with the territory. But, but the, the health, yeah, the health care 
is something that's got GM worried. And I had kind of $10 in my head, so maybe it's a little more than that. And that's all pretty much all company paid now because GM is self-insured. Um, that's something GM was worried about. That's something Ford was worried about. That's something FCA is worried about. Mm -hmm. And that's something the UAW would be still out on strike for. Well, it's it, Fortress Healthcare. They yep, did not. That is their issue. Yeah, it didn't change, and that was a win. Yeah. Daniel, do you think there's things that the, the car companies can do to offset these high labor costs? Uh, more of the same. Uh, you know, I. You know, I don't really know what they can do to offset them um, aside from, well, I, I take that back. One of the things that, that people at GM were telling me as they got the contract is this is a very fortuitous time for us. You know, they're launching an all new suite of, of full-size SUVs. I think you and I talked on the phone and you said you understand that the Arlington plant may be the most profitable I'm told auto, auto plant on the planet. Right. So to the extent they can, you can get your ATPs up, you get new product in the marketplace, um, a profit-rich product, that can certainly help ease the sting. One of the things that hit me about the GM contract is I think a lot of it was more pay-as-you-go. You know, we, we're going to, it's with current cash, whether it was an uncapping profit-sharing, for example. Mm -hmm. it's, all, it's all current cash. What they didn't do is the kind of stuff that Art's talked to me about in the past, which was, you know, make pension obligations or build future, structural costs. Build structural yeah. costs yep. into the deal. It was more pay-as-you-go. Share the wealth while we have it. Um, and I think that's probably one of the ways that you're able to do it, and the other is the product. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and taking out some structural costs by closing Lordstown, right. Baltimore, Warren, those are major billion dollars savings of closing those plants. I think people, I think the union ought to wise up a little bit, and I think they know this with the white paper they did on electric vehicles and the threat, but we've had now, what, three uh, engine plants closed, Romeo engine, Warren transmission, and Baltimore. And Baltimore. And, and they're all, I think, I think, or would be in, indicative of kind of where the industry is headed here in terms of powertrain. And there's a lot of people that work in powertrain operations. Yeah, there are. Uh, Art, we're getting down to the very end here. Did, did GM, could it have avoided this strike? It, why did it announce so early in the year that it was closing these plants, which only got the union furious, and it cost them $3 billion in profits having this strike? Uh. I think that I can't answer why for the timing for why they, they did it. I mean, if they had announced it right before the contract expired, the union probably would have exploded even more. So I think the hope was by announcing it that early, um, they would have time to work with the union before the contract to do something about it. Mm -hmm. uh, but the fact that they did make that announcement pretty much made a strike inevitable, I think, at General Motors. Uh, uh, I think the union realized they were not going to be able to keep that plant open, and therefore they needed a strike. They couldn't just settle without putting up a fight. And they put up a fight, and they, it's still going to close. Well, you yeah. saw a really different situation in Canada. I mean, there's a plant that was also unallocated in Canada, Oshawa. And the day of that announcement, Jerry Diaz, the president of Unifor, was screaming and yelling, and they're having rallies, and they were very loud. Um, and they've reached a settlement prior to, they don't negotiate with GM until next year for that contract, but for that plant, but um, a very different out of the gate strategy that may, um, when they get around to the contract, be very different. Well, with that, I'm afraid we're gonna have to wrap this up. I wanna thank you all for a very fascinating discussion. I know there's still more to come. We'll have to do another show and I'd love to invite you back then. 
Underwriting for the production of AutoLine this week has been provided by RSM. for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, Audit, Tax and Consulting for the Middle Market.